Uh, gold is something which carries a lot of value in a very limited volume. And that is what a lot of people, particularly with wealth, will be interested in. Hello, this is Maurice Jackson. Before we present today's interview, I'd like to remind our listening audience that I'm a licensed broker to sell precious metals through Miles Franklin, where we have unlimited options to expand your precious metals portfolio. Stay tuned to the end of our interview for contact details, and I look forward to the opportunity to speak with you. Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we deliver mining insights and bullion sales in the form of physical delivery, offshore depositories, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology. Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us for a conversation is Giant Bandari, the founder of Capitalism and Morality and highly solid advisor to institutional investors. Mr. Bandari, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me, Maurice. Always a pleasure to speak with you. For audience members, we will be addressing global unrest, arbitrage opportunities for your natural resource portfolio, and the value proposition of precious metals. Giant, when we last spoke, we were addressing global civil unrest and the vices of education, prosperity, and democracy. I want to begin our conversation with the latter. Giant, most people view education, prosperity, and democracy as a virtue. Why do you believe this is a sophism? Maurice, uh, education, prosperity, and democracy put together has been a complete disaster for the third world. And we continue to think that the more we educate, the more prosperous these third world countries become, the better it will be for the world. We continue to believe that that the more democracy spreads, the more stable the world will become. The reality is actually completely contrary to the conventional wisdom. Let's look at prosperity. What happens when a lottery winner gets his money in the US? He gets his millions of dollars, he loses, he leaves his job, he marries a stripper, he takes (laughs) on drugs, he gets STD, and in a few years time, he will have lost everything had that he made from the lottery and he would be much worse off than where he started before he won his lottery exactly the same thing is happening in the third world people in the third world have become rich before becoming enlightened before becoming rational before becoming open-minded they have become pompous they have become noisy they have polluted the planet Uh, And the end result is that they have become extremely materialistic. Now, Maurice, I'm not a religious person, but we all should have a higher calling in life. We should aim for bigger things in life. Uh, Pleasure-centric life does not satisfy us. But people who haven't become enlightened, people who don't have families, and these days more and more people don't have families, People just are pleasure-centric and they are decadent in a lot of these, in these third world countries. And prosperity is working against them. Now, democracy is creating a very similar problem as well. Uh, The key thing is that education should have made people enlightened and rational. What education is doing is that it is telling us to become entitled we go for all these liberal arts studies, gender studies, and we gain 
a sense of entitlements in the universities. We learn bad habits. We learn bad characteristics into our personality in these universities. Democracy means that everyone has a vote. Whether you understand public policy, whether you have a character or not, you still have a vote. Masses don't have a character. Masses are interested in materialism. And as time has gone by, character of masses has come to be reflected in our politics in the third world countries. Third world countries were much better off as dictators. In fact, democracy in any country, even in an enlightened country, will result in degradation of the institutions because level they have democracy, mass, the character of the masses will reflect in the institutions and institutions will fall to the level of the masses. And that's why democracy is degrading the society as well. You know, I often run into uh, or have discussions with people where they say everyone's uh, entitled to their opinion, and I agree with them. They are. Uh, they're, they are entitled to their opinions, but everyone's opinion doesn't count. And I was given the example of if you needed a surgery and five people uh, had an opinion on your surgery, four of them are doctors and one's a janitor, does everyone's opinion count? And then it makes sense to them. Absolutely. And that is why if you don't understand public policy, you should not have the vote. There is no you have no business participating in the political system if you don't understand what is happening. And Maurice, this is the big problem, even in a relatively enlightened country like the US or in Scandinavia. Even in such countries, more than 50 percent people want free stuff from the government. And they can't really understand that free stuff is not free stuff because you have to take it away from the wallets of someone else. And these people, because of because of the fact that they vote, they have created institutions which are welfare state institutions. They give free money to you and take away money from people who generate wealth. And because these people don't generate, uh, they don't understand public policy, they should not have had a vote. But because they have a vote, they have corrupted the institutions in the Western countries. And the corruption of institutions in the third world countries have been absolutely horrendous. How does education, prosperity and democracy fit into the narrative of the former as we're witnessing an unprecedented number of protests currently throughout the world? What is happening, uh, Maurice, uh, boils down to one simple thing. Our institutions around the world, in the first world countries and in the third world countries, have got degraded with time. Democracy has destroyed our institutions. Our institutions have become less and less, less rational with time because they are there not for governance and to maintain the rule of law. They are there as nanny states today. So our institutions have become worse and at the same time, our people, our society has become infantilized around the world. Because of democracy, people have this sense of entitlements. People have become increasingly naive, particularly in urban centers uh, and of course in the third world countries because they have got this sense of entitlement uh, and they vote for free stuff. Now, add this combination, degradation of the institutions and infantilization of the society, you have protests and extremely unstable societies around the world. The good place, in my view, Maurice, is East Asia, 
China, Taiwan, Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Japan, where this sense of entitlement does not exist, democracy has not set its roots very deep in those countries. And as a result, East Asia, in my view, is the only stable and improving part of the world. Speaking of Hong Kong, you recently wrote amusing regarding the situation there. For someone not familiar <laughs> with the situation and the potential contagion that may occur, can you provide us with an update? I have been to Hong Kong uh, twice in the last uh, six months, Maurice, and I absolutely love Hong Kong. It is my favorite country, and I have spent most of my time interacting with the protesters. I know where protests are going to happen next, so I go to the protests, I watch the police and protesters fighting it out. Um, it is an extremely difficult situation. I don't even know which side I should take. I like that China is not interfering in Hong Kong, despite the fact that the media is uh, sort of claiming that China is influencing events in Hong Kong. My guess is they are not. Police is shown to be very brutal on the television, and I have seen police and protesters fighting it out. But when police is shown to be brutal, the media does not show the context of that brutality. Uh, in my view, police has been extremely calm and sober in Hong Kong, and they have a very limited police force in Hong Kong. At the same time, I'm also on the side of protesters. Protesters have been extremely, extremely good. They have been uh, very sober. They have not created a chaos in the city. Of course, they are trying to protest, so they create chaos enough to trouble the police and the government, but they are not this, they, they are not destroying, destroying the cities, they are not breaking the shops, they are not stealing anything from the shops. Despite that I favor all the three sides, I don't know which side to take. And my problem is that I don't see a solution to this problem because all the three sides will continue to fight with uh, each other and there is no solution to the Hong Kong problem. I feel sad about it, but at the same time, Maurice, I walk around in Hong Kong I feel completely safe. There's no police uh, policing the city anymore because police is all focused on protesters. Uh, and that makes me very good being with people who are so civilized. And let's expand on that for a moment. You noted in your last musing entitled Hong Kong, Inexpensive Luxury. You stated that Hong Kong is starting to exemplify what a non-status society can look like. Can you expand on that for us? Well, really, Hong Kong did not have much police to start with because Hong Kong has an extremely low crime rate. Uh, when you go to these protests, uh, you realize something very interesting, something that never happens anywhere else in the world. Protesters and police fight it out. But as a spectator, you can just watch things and no one bothers you. Uh, in fact, protesters would come to me and tell me to uh, go back a bit if they think that the police would be firing tear gas or police would be um, uh, attacking the protesters. So protesters try to protect you if you are a tourist or and women and old people and tourists and normal people just walk around their business unaffected by the protests. Now, uh, because police is all focused on dealing with protesters, uh, the city pretty much has no police in my view, the rest of the city, uh, and there's no crime in the city. There's no theft going on. Girls walk around without uh, any problem. Uh, so 
that shows you that a relatively enlightened society does not need the government you don't need the policing system because people police themselves and i'm reasonably sure if a crime is started to happen uh people in hong kong would just stand up against it so you don't really need the police in a society like hong kong you travel frequently between china and hong kong what is the general sentiment like in china regarding the situation in hong kong um well firstly i don't really necessarily interact with people in china when i'm tra- uh, traveling in china in terms of interacting with the local people um the the thing is that the news of hong kong in china is relatively censored so you don't really get much news on it i don't think people really have much political views in china anyway so even if they had much news on hong kong uh, chinese don't necessarily discuss much politics now i am on two sides on this uh, issue i think uh, political activists and expecting people to have an opinion on politics is too romanticized in the western society we think in the west that polit- discussion of on politics is about political freedom but as we as i said earlier most people haven't a clue what is happening and the discussion that they get into in terms of politics is all about how i can get more free stuff chinese politically minded it has a great thing because it keeps the society stable it keeps people away from things that they don't really have influence on uh, so as such chinese are not so involved in what is happening in hong kong let's discuss the current situation in india what is occurring there that has your attention uh, maurice uh, this country saddens me no end this country has destroyed its institutions over the last 70 years since the end of the british rule on this country um, the institutions are just continue to crumble and fall apart and uh, maurice you and i have discussed this issue several times in the past uh, india is imploding uh india is doing nothing wrong economy is stagnant and i understand that the international media continues to portray india as the next china india will never ever be the next china china is five times richer than india is already uh, and indian economy is is stagnant whereas chinese economy is growing at a nice pace so uh, i am extremely sad about this country my guess is that india will not exist as a country uh, within the next few decades uh, there is no social cohesion they are focused on all emotional reasons things that come from envy and hatred and uh and a spirit to fight and demean other people and i'm talking about all sides uh, hindu muslims buddhists uh, different linguistic elements uh, they all hate each other for no good reason and they are not focused on what what can bring the society together and what can develop this country economically uh, and that's not happening You know, sometimes we receive some comments uh, regarding your views on India versus China, and I simply have to share with those that comment and disagree with you. When you look at what is being manufactured, when you look at your household goods, most of them, at least in the United States, I can say this, is made in China. I can't really think of anything that's manufactured in India, so that kind of squashes that uh, 
disagreement if you have it with Mr. Bhandari. <laughs> the, the funny thing is that when you go to shops in India, most of the things you see in the shops are made in China as well, which is such a sorry thing for India. India should be manufacturing those things within its own borders because the the labor cost is so cheap in this country. The problem is people have no skills in this country, and that is the fundamental problem of this country. People cannot be trained, they are not trained, and you can't even get a simple plumbing job done in this country properly. And that is really the cornerstone problem of India, and this problem is not going to go away uh, in, even in several generations. And that is a disastrous situation for 1.4 billion people. Uh, a lot of them still go hungry, and a lot of increasing number of these peoples don't have jobs. Has the situation in Kashmir diffused since we last spoke in November? Um, Kashmir, the situation in Kashmir has certainly improved from what I have seen. There is a lockdown in Kashmir uh, and uh, Indian military has a massive presence in Kashmir. Kashmir has been fully incorporated into the country. Uh, it used to be a, a self-governing jurisdiction within the country. Now it is not anymore. Um, I have to be supportive of Narendra Modi, and I don't like Narendra Modi. Narendra Modi is a Hindu fanatic. He's taking the country in a wrong direction, but I think he's doing the right thing in Kashmir because the problem in Kashmir is that Pakistan has been supplying money and support to terrorism in Kashmir, and this had to stop, and Modi is doing a few very good things to stop that problem. That said, Maurice, the problem with India is much bigger than just the problem of Kashmir. And that is why, despite these few good steps that Modi has taken, overall, the direction of India is backwards. It's re regressing to its medieval past, not moving forward. You know, speaking of Prime Minister Modi, did he not recently pass a referendum regarding citizenship? And it's, it's caused a lot of turmoil there? Yeah, that uh, should not have really caused a turmoil. Uh, he passed that legislation because he wanted to cater, pander to the, to the Hindu fanatic element. But most people should have just ignored it. That legislation only helps about 25,000 people. 25,000 people in the scheme of India is nothing, it's not even a drop in the ocean. Indian population increases by much more than 25,000 people per day. Now, there is also a legitimate problem to do with Christians, Hindus, and Sikhs in Bangladesh and Pakistan. These people, the girls are kidnapped, they are, forcibly, they are raped, they are forcibly converted into Islam, and then married off to Muslim men. So there's a legitimate problem with Christians, Sikhs, and Hindus, and I can fully understand why India might want to give a preferential refugee status for these minorities in, from Bangladesh and Pakistan, because Pakistan is an uh, is Islamic country. Within their constitution, minorities have a second-class status. And in fact, uh, Maurice, all you have to do is to look at the visa application for Pakistan. They ask you strange questions on Islam. You have to, uh, if you're a Muslim, you have to make sign 
a document saying that I don't even understand which it basically says that something about Islam is the this this is there's only one God and you know something to do with Quran you have to sign off on in a visa application that's how fanatic that country has become interesting moving from geopolitics let's discuss junior mining companies which companies have your attention at the moment and why um, Maurice the a very good thing is that over the last uh, six weeks uh, junior mining industry share prices have done very well they have gone up by about 15 percent which means that i have been able to sell a lot of garbage i had accumulated um, a lot of good companies have gone up as well uh, and uh, we were talking about uh, erving resources at one point of time erving resources has done extremely well uh, it's a company i'm very well invested in uh, what gets my attention is always a company however which market is not paying attention to uh, i can talk about three companies uh, maurice that continue to uh, be the ones that i want to buy at this point of time um, one company is o3 mining ticker is oiii and i have talked with you about this company uh, this company is now trading at two dollar eighty cents it has gone up quite a bit but uh, remember, they did financing, IPO financing at $3.88. And by any kind of valuation, I get about 50 to 100% upside in owning this company. Uh, another company that I like is uh, Maritime Resources. Ticker is MAE, and it's trading at $0.07.5. Cents. Uh, this company has been forgotten by the market. This company hasn't really moved up over the last six weeks, and that is that is something that makes me interested in this company because it should have moved up and it hasn't. Uh, the last company I want to mention, which I want to buy more of, is a company called Core Gold. The ticker is CGLD. We did discuss this company in the past, Maurice. Uh, this is an arbitrage opportunity. Core Gold has a hostile takeover offer, which pretty much gives you a premium of 100% over the current share price of 22 cents now this is a very complicated hostile takeover situation uh, core gold has not accepted the hostile takeover offer they have offers from some other companies but all the offers are between 33 cents to 50 cent per share of core gold and core gold is trading at 22 cents so i don't really care what ends up happening so much uh, my view is that my downside risk is limited and my upside can be as much as 50 to 100% in owning core gold. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've been following our interviews with Mr. Bendori for the last two years, you will have noticed that Irving Resources has rewarded their shareholders with a 500% return. The management team is exceptional and there are very few shareholders. Irving Resources is a sponsor and if you wish to get more information on Irving Resources, call Lisa Sharp at 604 682-3243. That number again is 604-682-3243. Or you may email info at irvresources.com. Moving on to precious metals. Mr. Bhandari, we're entering a new decade. Where do you foresee precious metal prices in the next five to 10 years and why? I see a very unstable future of the third world countries. I think once Trump is gone, United States will become extremely unstable. United States will go extremely leftwards once Trump is gone. 
without the United States, the world will become an extremely unstable place. Um, so you have a couple of things here. You have a, a social degradation happening in the world anyway. Institutions around the world will become unstable. Economies will become very unstable because taxes and regulations are going up everywhere. Uh, governments, because of democracy and because of sense of entitlements of the masses, are stealing more and more of the cash of wealth-generating population of the world, which means that economies will not do very well, and you will have very limited ways to protect your capital. There are two things that I can think of uh, 10 years from now, what I would want to be invested in. One is I want to be invested in East Asia because those are stable societies. But apart from that, what should I do with my money? And that is gold and silver because they are something I can control with my own hands. I can keep it in them in my own possession. And that will happen increasingly as time goes by, which in my view means that not only buying of these these precious metals will improve, their pricing should improve going forward. And that's what you have exactly seen over the last uh, one year or so, Maurice. Giant, many precious metal investors are not aware of the watershed moment that occurred last year with the Bank of International Settlements, which is the central bank of central banks. And Basel III was a referendum passed that upgraded gold from a tier three asset to a tier one asset. How much of an impact do you believe that uh, Basel III will have on the price of gold? Uh, I don't necessarily th think that uh, just because banks and financial institutions can buy more gold and uh, provide lower risk factor on ownership of gold means much for the future of gold. Uh, what affects the gold price is the interest of the normal retail investor in gold because he wants to preserve his wealth. He has extremely limited options in terms of where he can keep his money. Uh, he cannot buy stocks in Hong Kong necessarily. He does not understand those companies. And his option is to just buy physical gold and silver. And that is what really improves and supports the volume. And that's what improves the price as well. Uh, and his psychology is what will dominate the future of gold and silver. What precious metals are you buying right now and why? Uh, both uh, uh, silver and gold are very interesting to me. Uh, gold is something which carries a lot of value in a very limited volume. And that is what a lot of people, particularly with wealth, will be interested in. They keep a lot of their uh, gold uh, in their personal possessions, but they also keep it with uh, companies who can hold gold for them. Uh, silver is also very interesting to me because a lot of silver actually gets used up for industrial purposes and new technology, uh, which means that uh, silver price is always going to be supported by industrial demand. So in a way, I can be more interested in silver. Uh, my problem is that for personal purposes, I don't like to own silver because the volume of silver tends to be higher. Uh, but then, Maurice, I also, uh, as I said earlier, the other option for people is to keep their money in East Asia. And I understand the stock market in East Asia. I invest my money in East Asia. For the person listening at home right now that does not own physical precious metals, what words of wisdom would you like to share with them? 
Well, what options do most people have? They can uh, buy properties. Properties are extremely expensive. They don't necessarily understand the stock market. They certainly don't understand what's happening outside their own jurisdiction. So what options does a normal common guy have? And his option is to buy something that he can keep in his own pocket and away from the eyes of the government and away from the eyes of um, uh, thieves, basically. Uh, And that ends up being mostly gold and silver. Uh, And I'm sure there are other things, but gold and silver is something very important. People should pay attention to it. For audience members, we're proud to share that we're licensed to buy and sell precious metals through Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. To have a conversation with me is simple. Call 855-505-1900. That number again is 855-505-1900. Or you may email maurice at milesfranklin.com. And I want to front stomp. I believe that having an allocation in precious metals is paramount for one's portfolio as it has been time-tested to serve as a medium of exchange, It's a prudent savings account, and precious metals are the ultimate insurance to government currency debasement. Moving on to philosophy. Mr. Mandari, you're the founder of a philosophical forum focused on reason, argumentation, and liberty. Sir, please introduce us to capitalism and morality. I have been running this philosophy seminar in Vancouver, Canada for the last 11 years, Maurice, and the next one will be held on the 3rd of August uh, this year. Um, It will be held very likely at the Fairmont Hotel in downtown. Uh, People like Doug Casey, Rick Rule, Adrian Day uh, speak at this seminar, and it has grown in its strength, something that I'm very proud of. Um, It's a seminar in which I want to convey to people how important Western civilization is, how important the concept of reason is, how important rational institutions are for the future of humanity you know for someone that hasn't attended it's it's a great i mean i great is 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 a the wrong adjective to describe it it's remarkable it's intellectually enlightening i love attending it and it coincides with a, a symposium you and i both like which is the sprott natural resource symposium you're in vancouver the weather is amazing very culinary place to be if you've never been to vancouver how much is admission by the way uh, Maurice, it's about uh, $145 right now, if my memory is not incorrect. Uh, and uh, your audience uh, can get a 10% discount on uh, on the ticket price. There's a coupon code, which I, I will send to you later after our conversation. Well, thank you for the very kind gesture, sir. Mr. Mandari, last question, and that is, what did I forget to ask? Well, there's something that I forgot to respond to, and that is to do with how education is corrupting the people around the world. What is happening, Maurice, is that most important thing for any society is to make its people rational. People have to learn to think objectively and rationally. What is happening in the third world and what is happening also in the first world is that if people are educated without becoming rational, it burdens their mind because the so-called education sits in their minds unassimilated with their general understanding of the world. It actually burdens their mind, makes them actually more superstitious and more ritualistic. And as a result, 
it is among the so-called educated people that religion is actually becoming ritualistic religion is becoming a big problem in the third world country countries nationalism and religion are increasing in the middle east in africa in south asia south asia and that will not be a pleasant thing to face in the future giant you said something there that caught my attention maybe we should expand upon just a little bit further and that is the distinction between emerging markets and third world economies what's the difference well uh, the reality is that there's only one emerging market and that is china uh, everything else is a third world country and those third world countries will implode and fall apart eventually those third world countries are incapable of running themselves without western support without western technology and without western money china is the only emerging market and it will continue to be an emerging market china dominates world's growth without china world's growth would come fall drastically uh, and that is truly the big difference for me between emerging market which is china and the rest of the third world latin american countries africa the middle east uh, indian subcontinent these countries will basically implode my guess is maurice and this is very sad thing to say but malthus was completely right malthus just got delayed because of technology and industrial revolution but malthusian equilibrium will kick in at some point of time hundreds of millions of people will perish in the third world countries because these people have grown in numbers without actually growing in the capacity to generate wealth truly unfortunate and disturbing giant for someone listening that wants to get more information about your work and capitalism and morality please share the website address uh, everything i do goes on my website uh, it's jayanthbhandari.com and there's a tab on my front page called capitalism and morality which gives videos of all the past seminars it also gives you information about the next seminar Before you make your next bullion purchase, make sure you call me. I'm a licensed representative for Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments, where we provide a number of options to expand your precious metals portfolio, from physical delivery, offshore depositories, precious metal IRAs, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology. Call me directly at 855-505-1900, or you may email maurice at milesfranklin.com. Last but not least, please subscribe to Proven and probable.com for mining insights and bullion sales. Jain Bandari, the founder of Capitalism and Morality, thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Thank you very much, Maurice. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor. 